Scripture comes from First uh, John, chapter four, verses seven through eleven. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His sent us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son and his atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Let's pray together once more before we... Submit ourselves to God's word. Would you bow with me? Father, we need you in as many different ways as there are people here. We need you. We need you to address us now as our Father. Please address our fears and our pains and our hopes and our hearts through your word. We approach it with confidence based on your promise that it will not go forth without accomplishing your purposes. So please accomplish your purposes in us as a church and as individuals. Lay us bare, do your surgical work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, um, I felt inclined to devote the sermon to the subject of love today because of Valentine's Day yesterday, and it's just such an important topic. And if I could only convey one thing to you, it's that I just want you to remember that Christian love, the love that we get from God and can give to one another through Jesus Christ, is a real and rich and strong thing. It isn't this flimsy, emotional thing that the world celebrates. It's much deeper and broader than that. And this is a very, very helpful passage along those lines. So we're going to just walk through this passage together as we prepare our hearts to take communion. And uh, basically it's organized under three headings just to help you kind of keep track of where we are and where we're going in the passage. Because there's so much that could be said that we won't have time to say this morning. But first we'll look at where true love, where love comes from. And then we'll look at what love looks like. And then we'll look at how to love like this. So first, where does love come from? I want to turn your attention to verses seven and eight. John writes this. Remember, this is John who was Jesus's closest disciple. John who was there present at the crucifixion. Someone who walked closer with Jesus while he was on earth than anyone else. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So where does love come from? Real love comes from God alone. Real love comes from God. The world, the messages we receive would lead us to believe 
that love draws its origin, draws its strength from the beloved. So if you're going to love someone, it's because of what they do for you, how they make you feel. And I really think that much of what we call love in modern America is actually what I would call affection. Now, if you think about the word affection, it's, it derives from the idea of affect. It arrives from the, the, the affect that someone has on you. I, I did a little research and back into the Latin origins of it, which I don't really fully understand, but it carried the idea of influence. So I think that much of what we call love today is the feeling that others evoke in us, influence in us, the effect people have on us. But that isn't, in the truest sense, love. And these distinctions are very important. Affection is not the same as love. Affection isn't bad, but it's not the same as love. So love does not derive from the beloved. God did not look at us and say, they're so lovely, I will love them. They make me feel happy, happy, happy. Therefore, I will love them. No, God said, I love you because that's who I am. It's independent of you. It comes from me towards you. I don't draw the strength for my love from you. That's not love. That's using people. A lot of what the world passes as love isn't love at all. It's actually using people as objects to make yourself feel better. That's not love. It might be affection, but it's not love. Love is from God. Love does not draw forth from the beloved. It also does not come forth from our own will. Have you ever really known that you're supposed to be loving towards someone and you set, you determined you were going to love them? You're a Christian. You know you're supposed to be loving. Some difficult coworker, uh, your spouse when they're being a pain, uh, a, a child who's had way too much sugar and they're just outrageous. I like the look that the Boston's just exchanged there. You know you're supposed to love, so you set your mind, I'm going to speak lovingly, I'm going to, my, my body language and my tone of voice is going to be loving, I'm going to do this, I know I'm supposed to, I'm going to. And so you, you do it for an hour, two hours, drawing from the strength of your own willpower, and then eventually it just gets to be too much, and suddenly you snap, and from loving disposition to angry, fire-breathing dragon in .0 seconds, That's because you weren't really loving. You were drawing from your willpower to try to do a religious deed that you thought would be good and that you ought to do, but you weren't drawing your love from God. You were drawing it from within yourself. Love doesn't originate within you, and therefore you will not find the resources to truly love within yourself. And it doesn't originate in your beloved, the object of your love. They will always fail you, and you will not find within them the resources necessary to truly love. The only way to truly love is to be rooted in God himself. Are you with me so far? Okay, this is very important. This is how Christian love stands apart from other concepts of love. This is what gives Christian love its strength and its resiliency. So you guys who know your Bibles, when you think of love, what's the first passage that comes to mind? Well, John three sixteen is probably the first. What's the second passage that comes to mind? If First Corinthians thirteen, probably. If you've been to weddings, you've probably heard this. I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to listen to how resilient this version of love is. 
Okay, love is patient. See, right there is an indicator that the, the object of your love is probably going to be annoying at some point. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. See, there's another indicator that the beloved will probably not always go your way. It is not irritable or resentful. There again, another indicator that the beloved will probably give you cause to resent unless you have a deeper source for this love. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. A big blanket statement of the resiliency of of what real love is. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Real love is always giving the benefit of the doubt, always bearing with one another, always being patient with one another. And it can only come from God himself. There is no other source for love that strong and that resilient. So, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. So this passage today is an invitation for us to love one another. For, or because, love is from God. So in Christ Jesus, you're connected to God, and therefore you have a resource for real, eternal, strong, deep love. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I want to read that, the second idea here. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So those who love have been born of God and know God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now this is a black and white statement where you see this kind of 1 Corinthians 13, real, patient, enduring, resilient love. You see someone who knows God. Okay, Where you do not see that love, you see someone who does not know God. Because God is love, to know him is to be empowered to love like this. So when we lack the power to love like this, it is a very serious red flag that we may not know God at all. Okay, this is where we need to pause because I tend to like to, to try to get a laugh to ease any tension that may be in the room. But here we need to be deadly serious. So picture in your mind a great Christian. What in your mind does a great Christian look like? Like the epitome of Christianity. What do they look like? Often I think what comes to our mind is a very, very busy religious person who's at church every time the doors are open and who, um, you know, dresses the part neat and clean cut and who has the Jesus fish on their car and who um, hasn't watched a rated R movie since The Passion of the Christ and does all the religious things. But in reality, the mark of a Christian is this kind of love. This sort of love is the identifying mark. And some of you may remember in the book of John where we read about the original Lord's Supper where Jesus has the last supper with his disciples before being crucified. Before they eat, he gets down on his knees and washes the disciples' feet. Okay, now that was an act of extremely humiliating servitude. It was shocking that he would have done this. 
after he washes their feet, including Judas's, his betrayer. After doing that, he's seated with them at the table and he turns to them and he says, let me read it to you so I don't mess it up. In John 13, 35, he says to them, you know, their feet are probably still drying off from him having washed them. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, this Love is the identifying mark of Jesus' disciples. This is what identifies us as his people. This is what the world should look at us and say, man, that makes them stand apart. There's something different about these people. They have a capability to love like nothing I've ever seen in the world. It doesn't matter how great a church's programs can be. It doesn't matter how full the pews can be on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter how dynamic the preacher can be. It doesn't matter how wonderfully suited to everyone's preferences the music can be. If we get all those things in alignment, but we don't love like this, we don't even look like a church. We don't even look like Christians. We're something else, but we're not a group of Jesus's disciples. So this is extremely important. This is central to everything. Love is from God. Whoever loves is from God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now that statement, God is love, we could spend a year diving into the depths of the theology behind that. What does it mean that God is love? Like I can love someone, but I can't be love. Yet God is love. So what the theologians pretty much agree on through scripture is that it's in reference to the Trinity. The Trinity is the doctrine that God is three yet one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three yet one in a a mind-bendingly glorious, mysterious doctrine called the Trinity. And within that, even before he created Adam and Eve... He was in a constant loving relationship, even within himself. There was, there was sacrifice and submission within the Godhead for all of eternity. God is love. He is love even before he created any person. It's central to what it means to be God. It's central to who he is. Okay? We were made in that image. We were made in the image of the God who is love. So when sin entered the world, it got all messed up and our love for one another got perverted and distorted and shattered and messed up. Jesus comes to set that all right and to make us whole again, to make us into God's image like we were always meant to be. And as that process happens, we will love. And if we aren't growing in this kind of love, it means that Christ is not at work putting us back into God's image. So where does love come from? It comes from God. What does this love look like? Let's look at verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that, he might, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, there's a lot to think about in those two verses, but 
it seems like the main emphasis is the fact that God started it. And if you have children, you know what happens when they get in a fight in another room and they come to bring this fight to your attention and they're both pointing fingers at each other and saying that the other one started it. Well, in reference to love and humanity, God started it. It started with him. He took the initiative. It began with him. He did not love us in response to us. He loved us because he is love. Now, this is really important. Okay, this isn't just abstract theology. Maybe you're starting to phase out and think about lunch because this doesn't seem practical, but it's extremely practical. Because within churches, you have two people, two types of people. You have people who think that God will love them in response to their goodness if they are just morally and religiously good enough. And people who know that God already loved them took the initiative through Jesus Christ. And so they are free to respond to God's love in worship and obedience. So both people are trying to obey, but from two very different motivations. And this group who are trying to obey in order to get God to respond to them in love are missing the boat. They're missing Jesus Christ. They're missing the fact that he already chose to love you through Jesus. Now we get to respond to his love. So Christianity is responding to God's love, not trying to get him to respond to us. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. See, the Bible teaches that we, before being forgiven by Jesus Christ, were God's enemies. We weren't just neutral parties and innocent bystanders. We were active enemies of God. Our sin was not just a mistake. It was a rebellion against the Holy King. And while we were enemies, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that we could be with him. And be forgiven. That's why it's called good news. In Luke 23, 34, you see that moment while Jesus is on the cross, covered in his own blood, body ravaged by the whips and the beatings, nailed to the cross, in extreme pain and agony, dying for you and for me. And from the cross, he looks through his his tear and blood blurred eyes at the people down there, including the Roman soldiers who are mocking him and all the people who are mocking him and yelling at him. The Roman soldiers with the hammer still in their hand from having nailed him to the cross. And you remember what he said? He prayed for him and he said, Father, forgive them. That's Christian love. That's the source of real Christian love. Love is initiating loving relationship with someone else because God initiated loving relationship with you. Love is sacrificing deeply for someone else because God sacrificed deeply for you. Love is living for the benefit of other people because God lived for your benefit, died for your benefit. Love is loving first even when the object of your love might hurt you because of the vulnerability of your loving first. It can be hard to love first. It can be easy to love in response to someone else's love for us. But Christian love is the call to love first. 
Love is forgiving someone who sinned against you, like Jesus on the cross. Forgiving because God, through Jesus Christ, forgave us. Last, before we turn to the communion elements, how? Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The only way to love like this is by being deeply rooted in God himself through Jesus Christ. And that's what communion is about. We do communion regularly as a regular reminder of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Because that's where the power to sacrificially love others comes from. So in the summertime, we have often taken our kids to different water parks around. We did carowinds for a while. And most of the nicer water parks for kids now have this setup where it's like a big playground set with all kinds of stuff on them and water gadgetry that shoots water. And it's all fed from this giant bucket at the very top that as you're playing, you can look up and you see a pipe pouring water in it. And as it gets more and more full, it starts to totter like this. I don't know if you guys have seen these things. And it gets full and full and full and full until eventually it turns over and it just drenches everybody with water. And it supplies the water to go back through the system for everybody to play again. That's sort of what we're doing today with communion. God, through Jesus Christ, just dumps just gallons and gallons of lavish, lavish love onto us through Jesus Christ. Gallons of forgiveness, gallons of grace, gallons of mercy. It just pours down. And in communion, we sit down and we lock our eyes back to the cross, which we don't like to look at, but we must. And as we do, we're refreshed with the love of God to be able to live in light of it, to to play in the water park of God's creation, to forgive one another, to be gracious with one another, to be kind to one another, to sacrifice for one another. Not because we're so great, but because he's so great and his love for us is so great. So as we take these elements, it's a little piece of bread and it's a little cup of juice, but it's meant, and Jesus meant for it, to make us look back through time at the cross and remember how undeserving we are of anything that we have. And yet, what all we have in Jesus Christ, it's unbelievable. So John, the the one who the Holy Spirit wrote this passage through, was there when Jesus was crucified. Okay, so he saw our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ on the cross. He saw his battered, broken, destroyed body hanging there. Now, I want you to imagine that you're standing there, and John's beside you, and Jesus is up there. You hear him croak out these words through the pain, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you see the soldier plunge a spear into his side, and it kills him, and he yells out, it is finished. Okay, and you turn with John and Jesus' mother to walk away from that horrible scene. In that moment, standing there at the foot of the cross, how would you view the people around you? I doubt that if we were standing here at the cross, we would look at anyone around us with expectation for them to fulfill our needs. I doubt we would look at each other with demands that people adhere to our will. I doubt we would look at each other with bitterness and resentment. I think we would look at each other in extreme humility. I think we would remember 
that it's because of our sin that Jesus was crucified. That we're that servant he spoke of who was forgiven much. And therefore now we are free to and ought to forgive little. Communion is meant to take us back to the foot of the cross. So that we could love, so that we could be filled with the love of God through Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to continue to prepare your hearts for this. Meredith's going to come up in a second. We're going to sing together. And we built that song into the order of worship to give a break between the sermon and the communion to give us more time for prayer. And this is time for you, between you and the Lord, to pray. And to ask him to search your heart and to ask him to help you, to humble you, to help you to love like this. To clear anything out of the way that might be a blockage to this kind of love. So you can pray where you sit and sing. It's a congregational song. We're going to sing together. A song can be your prayer. You can come forward and pray at the prayer benches. And if you do, I'll come and tap you on the shoulder and see if I can pray with you. And if you prefer not to, just say, no, thank you. That's fine. I'm not going to harass you. Um, But if you'd like someone to pray with you, I'm happy to. So let's pray now together before Meredith comes up and we sing. Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ and your love for us. It's not that we loved you, it's that you loved us. You sent your only son to die so that we could live. Lord, let that very fact eradicate all the pride and all the selfishness and all the... Everything that hinders us from being a clear, efficient pipeline of your love into the people around us. Clean us out. Scoop out all the garbage that gets in the way. Or we want to obey this command, this invitation. Beloved, let us love one another. Please help us in Jesus' name. Amen.